You are listening to the Be The Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. How are you guys doing today? It's exciting. Each week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding. But I'm going to do it in the spirit of love. We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end. Forgive me if I sound a little nasally, but I had to take a COVID test today because I have an upcoming gallbladder surgery. So keep me in prayer. But that said, y'all know I love all our episodes and all of our guests. But today's conversation unearths elements within the Black community that some of you may not be aware of. So... At different points, we'll cut in to define terminology and make you aware of organizations that you may or may not be aware of for the purpose of context. This was all made easier with today's guest, Dante Stewart. Dante is a writer and speaker who has been featured on CNN, as well as in The Washington Post, Christianity Today, Sojourners, The Witness, A Black Christian Collective, Comet Magazine, and more. Dante writes and speaks about the intersectionality of race, religion, and politics. And if his name sounds familiar to some of you hardcore college football fans, Dante was a cornerback for the Clemson Tigers. He's currently studying at the Candler School of Theology at Emory University in my hometown of Atlanta. Today, we're going to deal with transition and proximity to whiteness. Assimilation is one transition that is made in proximity to whiteness. The perception of how acceptance and respectability can be attained is through adopting the habits and practices of America's dominant group, white people. This adopting of habits and practices is known as assimilation. What some may know is the seeds of assimilationist thinking are planted in the hearts and minds of Christians through programming instituted by the church. Here's the kicker. Assimilationist thinking can be ingrained in Black people through the Black church. With that said, let's start our conversation with Dante here. Check this out. Yeah, actually, uh, yeah, I grew up Pentecostal. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for anybody who really know Pentecostal, I actually grew okay. up apostolic. Did you guys have like all night prayers and all that stuff? You know we did. I mean, we, we what? We don't yes. do that no more. We don't do that no yes. more. We need to get back to that. Hey, hey, my that. family, my family's still doing that. You know so, what I'm saying? Uh, so during July every year, they they have convocation, church okay. church convention time, and every Friday night of um, church convention time is the midnight cry, okay. where we'll have service all week. So churches from Baltimore, Philly, Detroit. Uh, all over South Carolina, uh, just mm-hmm. all of they, they would all come to like Columbia and we'll have church on Sunday through Sunday. So every single day there's something. Yeah. Uh, uh, and Thursday to the weekend uh, is all day. Like you got seminars and things like that. Yeah. Um, and then Friday, Friday. So so Friday, Saturday, Sunday is the kind of extravaganza. 
Okay. Uh, Friday is the midnight crowd. We'll have the young people service on Friday. Uh-huh. Um, brotherhood service on Thursday. So it's always okay. a big one. Uh-huh. Um, and then um, uh, young young people service on Friday. And then the midnight cry, which is start at 12 o'clock and probably uh-huh. in at like three. Uh, okay. you'll, I mean, church are in at like 11. Uh, uh-huh. uh, we'll start at like seven. Church are in at like 11. Uh-huh. And people go to Waffle House and then come back. Uh, and then and come then, back for more church. Yes, so it started at seven, church. end at 11. Mm-hmm. You go get something to eat, and then you come back for the midnight cry. <laughs> so let that sink in. Imagine any group of people, young and old, spending that much time in church every week. But it gets deeper. We got to dig into the history a bit to lay a foundation. I mean, of course, Let's keep going. Pentecostalism uh, found its kind of origins uh, within the movement of William Seymour. Okay. Uh, so what's interesting about Pentecostalism is uh, much like much of American history, yeah. uh, we, we believe that, you know, every great movement was started by a white man. So mm. it was mm. it was it was started and, and influenced and carried on uh, uh-huh. by white men. And so that's kind of how the story of Pentecostalism is told through uh, Topeka, Kansas with uh, Charles Parham. Uh-huh. Uh, but actually, the Pentecostal movement uh, was started by William Seymour, uh, who, if I'm not mistaken, I think he came from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And he traveled, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think he came up from Louisiana to Cleveland, Ohio, to Los Angeles, which mm-hmm. Los Angeles, people, if people are familiar, Zusa Street Revivals yeah. in the early 1900s yeah. was the beginning of what we, what we now called Pentecostalism. It was uh-huh. started in Azusa Street at the Azusa Street Revivals, uh-huh. um, where you had all these people from everywhere. I mean, yeah. it was an absolute, absolutely incredible. They were having church. church. They was having church. But that, 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 that wasn't, the crazy thing was, that wasn't even simply it. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Pentecostalism was a socially progressive mm. movement in the early Jim Crow. You have this movement that is mm. integrated. Okay. I mean, you got Baptists, you got Methodists, you got Presbyterians coming and, you know, everybody getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. Uh, uh, but it was also a socially progressive movement. It was a movement that that became a political alternative to the segregationist logic of mm. Los Angeles uh, during mm. that time. Mm. Uh, what was interesting, an interesting story about that movement with Charles Parham he comes from Topeka, Kansas, because he gets a message about the things that's going on uh, in Los Angeles. And he comes and observes the movement that's happening. Mm-hmm. And you want to know what this white brother says? What did he say? And he called it crude Negroisms. Mm. And he left. What was interesting is that William Seymour started to deny or question whether tongues was a sign of the Holy Spirit or was love the greatest sign? Now you understand a bit of the history and atmosphere of the church Dante grew up in, but now let's get into his personal upbringing a bit as well. I'm setting up context for a reason, so stay with us. In their book, True to Our Native Land, um, mm-hmm. uh, a, a New Testament interpretation, African-American New Testament interpretation of William Seymour and him saying, you know, you know, what is the surest sign of the Holy Spirit is breaking the bonds of segregation mm. and not glossolalia, glossolalia mm. as scholars would call, I mean, the, the, the Greek term of, of tongues, glossolalia. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and that represented, you know, I mean, that that represented, you know, a, a kind of breaking away from, mm. you know, or and not even a breaking away. I would say a certain type of reimagining mm. uh, faith uh, okay. by William Seymour, which in some sense, you know, Pentecostals would be marked by that a certain mm-hmm. type of reimagination of faith mm-hmm. um, uh, or, or whatnot. And so out of that movement, kind of going to the apostolic faith, out of that movement was when apostolic really started to kind of okay. catch traction. And it was all over, you know, the doctrine of whether, you know, tongues is the initial evidence of the spirit or whether it's not. Mm. And this is where you would see Kojic and apostolics so Pente- black pentecostals kojic and apostolics now it's super reduction uh, super reductionistic kind of history yeah, but, uh-huh. um this this is why you know you have kojic and like apostolics because yeah they kind of disagree about you know doctrinal stuff regarding tongues yeah um yeah. and some of them disagree about women in ministry and stuff like that so yeah i mentioned football earlier but that is yet another layer of context Listen. Yeah. So actually, so actually, um, I walked on to Clemson. So I okay. was recruited in South Carolina. So recruited by I was recruited by a lot of major schools uh-huh. uh, or whatnot. But I wanted to stay in state. And okay. um, but because you went I, if, to the black high school, look, look, I'm added. I'm a, because you went to the black <laughs> high school, they won't come into the black high schools to like to like recruit, right? Yeah. Well, not nah, South Carolina was Clemson okay, wasn't. Okay. Cle- University okay. of South Carolina was. Okay. okay. I mean, but that's something uh, uh, that we we got. That's yeah. another conversation, but about mm-hmm. how recruitment happens and what schools they go to and why we have mm-hmm. to like sometimes get um, our black kids into white schools or into private schools so that they can get. A look at some of these d- division, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, these division one schools and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But so, okay, so you were recruited by South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, but then then the offer fell through, and then I was like, you know what, I'm walking on at Clemson. So okay. I ended up walking on at Clemson. I didn't have to try out because I mean they knew me, and I mean okay. I was I was a pretty good known player in South mm-hmm. Carolina uh, or whatnot. So it was just like you know show up to camp. Uh, okay. uh, whatnot, and then you technically on the team, and so I showed up, and um, <laughs> crazy, I was the only one that showed up in shorts and a white shirt and, and some khaki shorts. Uh, everybody <laughs> else, you know, showed up because they was already there, and so uh-huh. I was just getting there doing fall camp uh, uh-huh. or whatnot, and um, yeah, yeah, ended up having a good career at Clemson. Uh, okay, had, had a great time. It was fun. Playing but then football that in the South. Yeah. That that's a, I don't think people understand that. It's one thing like okay, Southwest. I know Texas has their football, but playing football in the South, like like North Carolina, Georgia, South Carolina, like that's a whole nother ball game. Like, um, like it becomes, like like you become little superstars. Like you know. You know, when you play football, especially for a college, especially for a college like Clemson, you know, um, wh- you know, what was that environment like on the football field? Because now you're walking into this very diverse environment, you know, um, coming from, you know, black school, black church, black community and going into Clemson. Yeah, it really like it really was. But, um, you know, I, I'm I'm pretty adaptable, adaptable. Oftentimes means, you know, I'm, mm. I'm really good at assimilating. He said that he was good at assimilating. 
Okay, let's keep going. And so mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, people say, you know, hey, I'm adaptable in many environments. Well, no, nah, not really. It's like oftentimes adaptable means like you got to lose like a serious part of yourself. Mm. And, you know, that's the thing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the complexities of race, okay. you know, especially with people in your generation, your generation mm-hmm. and my generation. Mm-hmm. It's like parents, you know, because we were the post integration generations. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, you know, in order for you to make it, you have you can't be too black going into these spaces. So, mm-hmm. you know, you keep your head down, you do your do your work and, and, yeah. and make sure, you know, you, you handle your business. You don't get too involved and, and yeah. race stuff. And it's not that, you know, they didn't want us to. It was that it was kind of for our own protection because they knew protection because they knew that to be really black in Uh these white spaces, you know, oftentimes would work against us. Yeah, would work against us. It was oftentimes, you know, penalized and criminalized Mm. uh, and demonized uh, Mm. uh, uh, or whatnot. And so, you know, going into Clemson, Clemson is a huge bubble. For black black athletes, mm-hmm. um, there is Black Clemson, which uh, every major predominantly white institution. Mm-hmm. Um, for the listeners who don't know, th- th- there is HBCUs and there is PWIs, yeah, uh, <laughs> or whatnot. PWIs uh-huh. a predominantly white institution. Clemson is uh-huh. a predominantly white institution, uh-huh. uh, and so at Clemson, you know at, at, at predominantly white institutions, you usually have, you know, black Clemson or black Georgia or black South Carolina, which mm-hmm. tries to cultivate a certain type of, you know, family kind of environment, kind of HBCU experience within mm-hmm. the kind of larger Clemson experience, Clemson experience. Clemson experience. Let's take a pause. Let's really let that last statement sink in. Wow, this is so good. Let's take a really quick break and we will be back shortly. Be prepared to learn something new. Navigating the stress of sudden changes in income, health complications and or the loss of someone close can be overwhelming. Not to mention the stress of this tense time of political and social disharmony. Honestly, at this time, we could all use a little help. Well, guess what? There's betterhelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P. BetterHelp.com makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient for anyone who may currently struggle with life's challenges. If that's you, you can get help anytime, anywhere. BetterHelp.com offers access to licensed, trained, experienced, and accredited psychologists, marriage and family therapists, clinical social workers, and board-licensed professional counselors. We want you to start living a happier life today. So as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com slash BeTheBridge. Join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp.com slash BeTheBridge. Don't fall into the trap of trying to help yourself. Get better help at betterhelp.com. Thanks for staying with us. Let's pick up Latasha's conversation with today's guest. Being at Clemson, being black at Clemson, I don't even know if I was necessarily aware because being athletes, especially black athletes, uh-huh. you get trained so well to uh-huh. not deal with race, mm. to kind of be like the transcendent race man. Mm. It kind of, you know, like I'm I'm here to play. I'm I'm a football player first. I'm I'm black second, uh-huh. and so it's it's like that thing, you know, that that when people talk about Christian identity. So I'm I'm not someone who says, you know, 
my first identity as Christian. It's just yeah. that that's just not the case uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, or whatnot. I mean, it's a meaningful identity. Uh-huh. But when I walk outside into the world, you know, the first thing people ain't seeing, you know, is Christian. Right. Uh, I mean, the first thing people see is black. And mm-hmm. that means I need to make sense of that somehow. Mm-hmm. But when we go to college as black athletes, we believe the lie uh, that, mm-hmm. you know, we are first athletes and then we're black second. We're black second. Black second. Black second. Black second. Black second. Listen to this story related to a Trayvon Martin demonstration. In 2012, <clears throat> when Trayvon Martin happened, uh, the black athletes, uh, some of my black teammates, uh, in, ended up um, doing a photo shoot in hoodies okay. to stand in solidarity with Trayvon. And, um, you know, I got asked whether I was going to do it. And I was like, you know, nah, nah, I'm not going to do it because uh, I don't want to be a distraction. Mm-hmm. And so I believe the lie, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, that 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 black bodies on the field performing well mm-hmm. was more important than black bodies being murdered down in Florida. Did you catch that? Assimilationist thinking distorts priorities. It gets deeper. Check this out. The church that I was a part of, mm-hmm. no apostolic church was around. Okay. Um, that's where, you know, you get introduced as an athlete to FCA. When Dante mentions FCA, he's speaking of an organization called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And, uh, uh, you know, that's what happened to me. And that really, yeah. you know, this is this was the beginning of assimilation for me. Mm. Um playing football and and getting hooked up with FCA and 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 things like that it's like you know they got bible study every week and you know you know growing up you know growing up christian you 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 learn you know okay you need to be doing something to feed yourself spiritually yeah and so you know i would go to FCA and so then you know over time you just keep going and you start to associate like yo this is legitimate Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this is the right way of doing things mm. versus, you know, the apostolic church that I grew up in. And so I learned how to look down on the ways mm. in which I was raised. I learned how to see, you know, that type of way of doing life as less than mm. because at, at, at the FCA meetings at Clemson, which is, I mean, a great meeting, big meeting. Um, I mean, you, you're not seeing no preachers that look like you. It ain't no praise breaks and hooping it ain't no yeah. you know you know uh old sisters messing with you yeah. uh, for acting up it ain't it yeah. ain't no shouting and stuff like that and so you, you just kind of learn through this environment i mentioned before that dante was a sociology major at clemson what he says here is so good listen usually our social location determines our social values. Mm, okay. And those social values then in turn kind of shape our social priorities. Mm-hmm. And our social priorities then in turn shape our social rhythms. Okay. And then our social rhythms in turn shape how we name, see, and imagine the world. And so that would be what, you know, C. Wright Mills, sociologists would call the sociological imagination. Mm-hmm. How people make sense of the world. Mm. And what, you know, what what I fail to realize in college and a lot of times what we fail to realize is that none of us are walking into a neutral story. Mm. There is no such thing as a neutral kind of religious yeah. environment. Yeah. 
Right. There's no such thing as a neutral story. There's always there's always a story here before I got here right, right. that's invited me to see myself as a certain type of person mm. and kind of embody a certain type of action. Okay. And so with FCA, uh, as we understand kind of the history, uh, you know, it's it's a movement that's deeply immersed in white evangelicalism. And being deeply immersed in white evangelicalism, the kind of values, priorities and rhythms and kind of the ways that they make meaning and purpose and, 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 and make sense of faith uh, is oftentimes and very in, in a very real way, very much different than the way black people learn how to make sense of the okay. world, learn how to make sense of faith. Uh, and so going to FCA kind of was you know, the beginnings of that kind of assimilation for me mm-hmm. and being in proximity to whiteness and saying, you know, hey, this is right. Uh, this is normal. This is true. This is what we should aspire to rather than seeing it as this is different. This is meaningful to some people. This has limitations and potentials and this should be critically engaged. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I didn't necessarily have that. And so that represented for me, you know, a culture shock uh, during during that time while I was at Clemson. And I mean, when I went all in, you know, yeah. I was, you know, I was all in. Assimilationist thinking and behavior can become a way of life for some. But in Dante's case, there was an awakening. I don't want to spoil it. So let me let him tell you about it. This is great. Uh, so for me, you know, the catalytic event, um, you know, for me really was Alton Sterling. Okay. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was really, you know, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, then Trump. Um, okay. Which, which, which woke me up, uh, kind of, you know, which, which showed me, you know, yeah, I need something different. So mm-hmm. while I was uh, connected in Clemson at, with FCA. You know, when when my wife and I, we moved out of California, so I graduated in 2014. And then uh, my wife and I, we moved out of California because she was in the Air Force and we got stationed out there. Okay. And so then being an FCA, instead of picking an apostolic church, when we move, uh, I chose, you know, a white church, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and so back to social location and social values right. and social priorities. And so a priority for me was, you know, being connected to a church, but it was, you know, I associated being connected to a church with being connected to a white church. And so mm. we was out there. And so then 2005, fast forward to 2015, we're now back in Augusta. We got stationed in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And then same thing happened. You know, I chose a white church. And what's crazy is my wife actually, you know, uh, didn't really dig the church. Uh, but, you know, because I was so concerned about being in ministry um, you know, I was just, you know, I was head over heels about being being involved in ministry. There are going to be some white Christian pastors and leaders that will either be shocked, hurt, and or offended by this next statement. But let me say this. If there's a white leader or pastor that can hear this next statement and their reaction is ambivalence, then for you, that statement will be a heart check. Let's listen. I, I was a part of a church here um, and chose a church here and my wife did not want to go. Uh, okay. It was Southern Baptist Reformed Church. Okay. And oh, Jesus. Yeah, okay. it was um, It was an interesting process. Okay. Um, you know, the sad part about that was, you know, I kind of, you know, because of my, you know, just associating, you know, 
white with right, you know, it was like I forced us to stay. Okay. You know, black women, you know, oftentimes are not only just not only just uh, undervalued, but they're invisible in these white spaces. And, you know, when we as black men get in these spaces, we do everything that we can to sustain it and keep it. Uh, and they opened up opportunities for me. I was a young, charismatic black dude, and I, I could spit reformed theology with the best of them. And then Alton Sterling happened. I'll never forget um, Alton Sterling and, and seeing Alton Sterling um, get murdered. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, and I, I mean, I, I could see it right now in just his red shirt and his khaki shorts. And... Tasha, that thing tore me up. Mm. It 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 wrecked me. Mm-hmm. Like it, it wrecked me because I didn't know how to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. And going to this white church, nobody was really trying to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, Philando happened, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's just like I know I'm angry, but I don't know why I'm angry. Okay, I know I'm like. Like really mad and really want to say some stuff, and I know I don't even want to be around any white folk. Okay. But I mean, I'm around them, and you know, I can't really be too honest about what I'm feeling because you know we learn real well to hide your yeah. emotions. Yeah. Uh, but why? You, why, you learn why, well. why do we learn? D- d- let's get. Uh, I just want to get under that a little bit. Why do you have to in those environments? Why do you have to learn to hide your emotions? What, what, yeah, is, I, what is the fear? I think it's more so fear from white people. Like Eddie Glaude in his book, mm-hmm. Democracy in Black, has a chapter entitled White Fear. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think. I don't think white brothers and sisters know how to handle the force and the complexity of black pain and rage. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as a group, I'm not saying like, and I think this is important. Like, Mm -hmm. like, like when I speak of white people, because I I say that I, you, I talk about white people all the time and I talk about white Christians all the time. You know, I'm talking about Mm -hmm. as a group, white people and particularly white Christians, you know, on the one hand, I think it's from their side. They, they don't know how to deal with it because for them to deal with it is for mm-hmm. them to deal with themselves. And white people in this country, you know, mm-hmm. collectively have not necessarily dealt with what their apathy, their complicity and their complacency on matters of race and white supremacy means. I feel encouragement is needed at this point. So I asked this question. What encouragement do you have? Um, you know, what do you want to say to the um, the predominantly white church right now, um, especially those who are um, resisting um, um, this work of 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 you know racial um, healing and um, and reconciliation and racial justice, which you know all of those mm-hmm. line together. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because we, mm-hmm. you know, you're only going to have healing um, through through reconciliation. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And you're only yeah. going to have reconciliation through racial justice. And so, um, mm-hmm. how what would you say to you know um, black people? You know that are um, mm-hmm. out there right now. And then what would you say to the church? I would say read James Cone's book. Okay. Said I wasn't going to tell nobody. Okay. 
I mean, that's for me. That was that. That's was, hands down. Okay. That's that's just hands down. Okay. And, and and I think I think the biggest that would be the one thing really would be connect to black literature. Okay. Um, you know, connect to black to our literature. Stories to our I history. I mean, yes, yes, yeah. yes. I mean, there are so many black writers out mm-hmm. there. I mean, there is so much black yeah. literature. Yeah. I mean, y- y- I, I'm looking around my room right now, mm-hmm. and there's just so many books in here written by black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and too often, you know, we because of the lack of access, mm-hmm. um, and books are expensive too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think we we kind of you know limit our ability to be connected to our tradition. Yeah. And sometimes but I would it's say, laziness. You know, and laziness. <laughs> yeah. 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 And laziness. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. Um, but I would say, you know, if we want to get free, there is no freedom without literature and critical engagement with literature. It just, it's just, I mean, our whole faith is built on literature. Legit. Like, <laughs> Through, like, like our Christian faith right. has been tr- kind of given to us through a cert- certain literary kind of mechanism uh, through the written text. Toni Morrison, in her excellent uh, essay, The Sight of Memory, she talks about black literature. And she says that, that black literature, you know, allows us to ponder the actual, but imagine the possible. Mm. And so when I think about that connection to black literature, it will help us ponder the actual what's going on in this moment. What has been what has been going on. Mm-hmm. And when I say black literature, I'm not even talking about like reading black Christian literature. I'm talking about reading black people in general. Right. I mean, all the way from reading Frederick Douglass to reading James Baldwin mm-hmm. to reading Toni Morrison, reading Audre Lorde to reading even writers today like Eddie Glaude and Imani Perry. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 or theological writings like Kelly Brown Douglas and James Cone mm-hmm. and, and Dolores Williams and M. Sean Copeland, who's my favorite theological thinker today, mm-hmm. uh, engaging with this literature is what I would say with, 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 for us as black people. But with white churches, you know, I don't even, it, it's hard because, you know, on the one hand, you have white churches who actually are trying. Yeah. But, but then you have white churches that's not really, really concerned. Yeah. Speak to the ones uh, that are trying. Just, just the yeah, ones that are to trying. The ones, to the ones that are trying. I, I definitely want to encourage the ones that are trying. This year has presented white Christians with questions they, mm. I mean, years past, they've been forced to deal with, but they kind of, you know, it was like, yeah, mm. forget it. Not, not really investing in it. But this year has presented a particular, you know, kind of catalytic moment for white yeah. churches uh, and white Christians uh, to 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 really legitimately change. Mm. Um, and I and I would say, I know it's cliche, you know, keep going and keep trying and keep keep wrestling. Mm-hmm. But I think that legitimate. I mean, I think that's legitimate advice is you know you will never you will never feel like 
you know, we're actually doing it always, mm-hmm. like the right thing and the good thing. But I think as we just try and just show up every day, mm-hmm. as white Christians try and show up every day and show up, you know, in ways, you know, that generate legitimate forms of solidarity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think, you know, even if the demographical makeup of one's church doesn't change, the kind of kind of spiritual, political, and religious and moral kind of mm-hmm. bent and framework of one's heart and the heart of one's congregation can show that that congregation is a just church. Okay. Um, and I would say, you know, keep going and, and keep keep wrestling, keep trying, keep thinking, mm-hmm. keep praying through it. Um, and, you know, hopefully one day, you know, as we try and generate forms of legitimate solidarity, mm-hmm. not simply with Christians, but I would even say, you know, even interfaith mm-hmm. forms of solidarity, because as Christians, you know, we're not trying to create a Christian nation, but we're trying to be Christians in a society mm-hmm. that we want to become more loving and just. Mm-hmm. And so racially and pol- racially, that means that we have to think through like forms of sharing and common life mm-hmm. together with people who are different than us yeah. in the political world, yeah. in the social world. And so I think I would encourage, I would even encourage black Christians that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would encourage us that way to say, you know, I mean, not everybody's going to agree with your politics. I mean, they may call you a liberal, progressive, woke, whatever. But I think, you know, loving our neighbor matters more than what people call us. Than what people call us. To understand assimilationist thinking and those who have been freed from that thinking presupposes that it is a way of thinking that supplants foundational pillars of one's own culture and heritage to imbue a standard deemed more appropriate by the dominant culture, which in this case is whiteness. We will unpack this idea of transition in proximity to whiteness in upcoming episodes. Hopefully by gaining this understanding, the thing foremost in our hearts and minds is to continue to build bridges and not walls. If you are a member of the Donors Table, you get access to today's unedited episode. Go check it out. Thanks for listening to the Be The Bridge podcast. To find out more about the Be The Bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community, go to bethebridge.com. Again, that's bethebridge.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lauren C. Brown is the senior producer. Brittany Prescott was our transcriber. Please join us next time. This has been a Be the Bridge production. Be the Bridge, 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 be the Bridge.